I'm going to have you do something tonight that we don't do all the time. There are times when I think the body of Christ needs to respond in light of the things that are going on in our world. I'm going to have you stand up. And I'm going to have you reach across the aisle and join hands. And we are going to pray for Emmanuel AME Church. Senseless evil can be fought from heaven. And that's what we're going to do. Father, tonight we as a part of that body, Lord, the one body and the one church, we grieve with our family, Lord, in Charleston, South Carolina. We ask God right now by your spirit that you'd reach across this nation. You would link our hearts, our minds, our thoughts with theirs. Lord, we pray for the pastor's family. Lord, we pray for the Pickney family. We ask God, only you can make some sense out of this senseless tragedy, out of this evil, Lord, that this young man is brought to this church. And we ask that you from heaven would be their comfort and their strength and their shield and their portion and their mighty one in whom they can run and hide and trust. God, we pray that you would take care of the families of all those that were lost. Lord, we don't know what to do, but we know who to come to to find out. And so we bring this precious church before your throne of grace tonight, and we ask that you would just bind the wounds, Lord, that are open and raw. Lord, we ask that you would do what the government can't. We ask that you do what no police force can do. We ask that you would heal. God, would you keep that city from flying apart at the seams? Lord, would you bind the work of Satan? Would you cast out the demons in Jesus' name by his blood? Lord, would you work in such a way that, Lord, they would know that they've been prayed for tonight from this side of the country? And God, would the church rise up all around this country and say no to this evil? Lord, revival begins in your house. And so, Lord, we cry out to you for revival in this land. It's the only thing that can stem the tide of evil. God, you're the one that can do this. We know that. And so we ask you, Lord, we graciously come to you and say, Lord, heal our land. Heal these poor people's hearts, God. Would you cradle them in your everlasting arms and would they know that there's a God in heaven who has seen their pain and their anguish and cares. Lord, would you somehow work a work that will do something for your kingdom through all of this horror. We cry out to you in the mighty name, the name above all names, the only name whereby men may be saved. At the name of Jesus, we cry out Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
You know, sometimes as a pastor, you don't really know whether to get angry or sad, righteously indignant, or all the above. A family of God, we have the answer to what ails this country. If you're here tonight and you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have the answer. And I pray that the reason we've drawn together tonight would become very evident as we study the Word. Because there are people who believe that the answer is in something other than the name of Jesus. And it hasn't worked for over 2,000 years. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Great I Am, is the one that can do this. And we need to cry out to Him. Do you turn tonight to the second chapter here? The book of Revelation, we'll pick up in verse 18. Our fourth church period, our fifth study here in the seven churches, in the church at Thyatira. And now as we finish up the remainder of these churches, these periods of church history, as we remember that there was a literal, practical church, there has perennially always been a problem that's like the church in Thyatira, and there is prophetically a specific period of time and a church that this is likened to. The remainder of the churches all had their beginning in a period of time, and all will have their end when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes. And so these remaining churches are still very much alive and well in the world today. And though we can look back at a very specific point in time when they began, the problems that they introduced, much like the rest of the churches had some influence, these churches are still having a major influence in our world. And so as we begin tonight, the false church, the pagan church, uh, the patronizing the church, the church that gathered together over uh, the worst kind of church, a, a church that took doctrine and threw it out the window. And when I use that word, what I'm talking about is the proper application of proper biblical interpretation so that it can have the proper biblical application. You can remember it by a simple acronym, O-I-A. We observe the text, we interpret the text, and we apply the text. Proper doctrine. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We're not talking about what a group of people in a denomination believes. We're talking about what the Word of God plainly says and teaches. That is what's in trouble in our world today. We have churches by the truckload abandoning the plain teaching, the plain observation, the plain interpretation, and the plain application of the text of what the Bible has said from its inception. From what the Lord Jesus intends his people to know, to be, and then do. You see, it doesn't do you a bit of good to understand doctrine unless you then apply it as your duty. 
And so tonight, we'll pick up in verse 18, and the church at Thyatira. Let's pray. Fathers, we come together tonight again. We've simply come to read your word, to observe it, to interpret it. What does it say? To make sense of it, to give it meaning, and then to apply it to our lives and to the world around us. And so, Lord, we ask you, by your spirit, to fill us, Lord, cause us to know and understand and apply what you want us to hear in this message tonight. We give it to you. The time is yours. Use it now, we pray, for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a false church. And it was also a very pagan church. And can I tell you that throughout the history, especially the Middle Ages, that period of time that uh, began in about the 600s A.D. and continued on uh, through about 1200 A.D., the Middle Ages were some of the most vile times in human history. Connie and I had the privilege of living in Austria for nearly a year, and when we lived there, uh, we were able to visit the largest remaining medieval fortress left in existence in the world, the Fortress Hohen Salzburg. And if you travel there, as is true in most of the major medieval fortresses or castles left in Europe, you almost always find a torture chamber. Interesting fact about those torture chambers, they were invented by the Roman Catholic Church for the most part. They were not mostly kings, they were not imperial leaderships, they were the church's way of getting people to confess and to convert. Can I tell you that was not from God? The museum that's there in Fortress Hohen Salzburg contains hundreds of implements of human torture used by Bishop Beetroot, the Bishop of Salzburg, during the Peasant Wars, during the Middle Ages. And it was to force confessions out of people. Thumb screws, cages, brain clamps, racks, handcuffs that twisted your body into such contorted positions you could no longer breathe. These were all done in the name of church. We sometimes forget that there can be very, very, very horrible things that happen in the supposed name of the Lord. The Crusades are another example of that, which ended in roughly 1100 A.D. The forced conversion of Muslims. God never called on the New Testament church to go and convert people with a sword. In fact, he said that they would not know him except by his kindness. For it is his kindness that leads men unto repentance. It's not the sword. It's not violence. The Spanish Inquisition is another example of a pagan church forcing Jewish people to convert. And so this pagan period of time consumed a ton of human history and it exists in principle, thought, and in action in a different way today. Probably many of you have seen movies like The Three Musketeers. Cardinal Richelieu was a real person. 
and he was really that evil, and he was really that perverted. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things, notice another name for the Lord. Notice how he changes and gives a different perspective on who's writing these things. The Son of God, who has eyes like the flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. For I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. There would be part that would grow in works, part that would grow in faith. There's always a faithful remnant within every church. Within every church, there are faithful believers. As messed up as some denominations are, some groups of supposed Christians are, there are always people who faithfully believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are saved and they love God. We need to be careful. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. That you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach, to seduce the servants, to commit sexual immorality. And you're going to notice a theme of these churches as we push on into even our modern day and time. That the very thing that our world struggles with today, the mass proliferation of immorality. And it's time that we stop playing games and call it what it is. Our world is basking in filth. And it is not God's plan for humankind. It is not his plan for human sexuality. And he is abhorred by what is going on in our world. But when it creeps into the church, it's especially evil. Because we're supposed to be the example to the world of what Christ looks like in this world. They already know what garbage looks like. That's easy to find. And eat the things that are sacrificed to idols. In other words, get your sustenance from the world and its goodies. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, but she did not repent. The world doesn't like that word, repent, very much. It's not popular in our time. Usually when you say it, people call you things like Bible thumper. I don't thump my Bible, but I do teach from my Bible. Sometimes I want to thump some people with my Bible hoping that maybe someone would transfer as I thump them with it. For indeed I will cast her into a sickbed. And notice what's being said here, and I think we'll see it as we go on tonight. And to those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Notice the direct connection between sexual immorality and adultery. Between sexual immorality and the word there again is pornea. It doesn't just mean you know, sexual intercourse. It means all type of sexual activity outside of God-ordained marriage. Let's call it what it is. Homo or heterosexual. Notice that it's linked with, shocker, the divorce rate. 
When the church becomes the place where the person who is engaged in sexual sin feels like the church will say nothing about it, what do you think it's going to do to families? It's going to destroy families. Your children are being fed this trash every day. And it's time the church stood up. It's time we said enough's enough. I'm old enough, many of you in here are old enough to remember that in this country we used to have a Bureau of Censorship for television. Amazing. I remember watching Bonanza in the 1960s and Dan Blocker got censored for saying, darn it. (laughs) Now every cartoon uses four-letter language. You see, the church needs to wake up because when this stuff infiltrates the church, the salt, the light, loses its savor. And pretty soon, there is no purification, there is no illumination, and there certainly is no sanctification in our world. Lest they repent of their deeds... Would you please underline this and ask yourself a simple question? Do I want my children to die? I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and will give to each one of you according to your works. That is one of the strongest messages of condemnation found in Scripture. So bad was the sin of that church, so bad was the sin of that time, that they didn't even fear the Lord enough to say, look, I believe what you said, and if it's going to kill my kids, I think I'll turn around and go the other way. How much of the church today is saying, oh well, it's just my kids. Family of God? If your kids have problems with their cell phones, take the stupid things away. Amen? You don't think they can't get some of the most vile stuff ever produced by humankind on their cell phones. You are loopy. When you find your kids engaged in relationships they shouldn't be in, tell them no. Those words still work. And the rod of discipline applied to the seat of knowledge still works. For I will give each one of you according to your works. And now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known this notice who it is the depths of Satan. You fight against three enemies, the world, your own flesh, and the devil. And what we saw in Charleston was of the devil. That was satanic, written, authored in hell, and carried out in human flesh through someone who I believe was likely demon-possessed. 
What person on earth could possibly concoct that? Well, what manner of human being? I don't even know that, that you can't even classify that as human. That is inhuman. I've not known the depths of Satan, as they say. For I will put no other burden upon you, but hold fast to what you have till I come. Sometimes you feel like you're holding fast, don't you? I do. It's like, Lord, just let me hang on till you get here. But can I say to you, we haven't been just called to hang on. We've been called to victory. We've been called to take ground, not give ground. We've been called to climb mountains, not run away when we see one. It's about time the church woke up and got back to the business of taking ground from the enemy. Amen? Hold fast. Notice the reward to he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. You want power over your nation? You want power over your neighborhood? You want power in your family? You want power? Do what he says. Our problem is we hear what he says, then we go right away forgetting what manner of man we are. What kind of woman we've become. We go about our business as if the Lord has no part in our lives. Then we wonder why the result is so horrific. We need to do what he says. Stop telling God how to govern the universe. Listen and do it. For you shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed, dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give to him the morning star. The one who overcomes gets to see the brightness of his coming. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Notice again, plural, to the churches, all of them. And so this very, very strong message to the church at Thyatira. This is also the longest of the letters, and we'll hopefully get through all of it tonight. Historically, as you look at this world, it was much like the rest of the churches founded in modern-day Turkey. If you look at the churches on the map, you'll see that these churches were all within 45, 50 miles of each other. Many of them were on the outskirts of what we would call civilization. Thyatira was one of those. It was a well-traveled road, but it was on the edges of those places where people would normally go. And so as you look at this map, if you can see the detail on it, uh, you can see that these seven churches are all located on the peninsula of what is modern-day Turkey, directly across the Aegean Sea from Greece, and in an area of the world that uh, right now would be very close to the conflict that's going on in Syria. Not very far from Israel itself, just around the coast, a few hundred miles away. Uh, you could walk it, you could ride it, you could go in a, in a ship. Uh, but this was an area of the world that was very influential. And as it was influential, and as uh, we see the Lord reveal this message, a little bit of history is helpful. As was very true in Ephesus, also true here in Thyatira, it was what we would call kind of a, a 1920s, 30s union town. And I'm doing that very specifically. This was not to bash unions. That's not what I'm trying to do. But we all know that during the 20s and the 30s, the unions were run by mafia mob bosses. 
and those mafia mob bosses controlled the unions, and thereby the unions themselves were quite evil at times. In this case, the trade guilds, the unions of those who produce goods and services, were run by, in essence, a group of people who kind of dabbled in church and dabbled in Satanism. And so the church had infiltrated into the area of business and eventually business took precedence over the church. And when church becomes a business, the church is in trouble. Church is not a business. This is God's house. God's house is to be a house of prayer. God's house is to be a place where we study His Word, His infallible Word, His mighty Word, His powerful Word. It's a place where we rely on the Holy Spirit, not a business plan. Business plans are good. Spreadsheets are good. But God is great. And we listen to Him. These people had it backwards. Business was running the church. That is a recipe for moral failure. Because when the dollar becomes more important than the blood of Christ, the church is in trouble. Wonderful to have a building. Wonderful to have a facility such as we have. We are blessed beyond measure. Very few places on earth have a church like this church. But unless this church remains true to the mission, which is to spread the good news of the gospel to every man, woman, and child that we come in contact with, if it becomes about promoting this building or me or any other thing other than the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not on mission. They had let the trade guilds begin to run with the church. Whoever had the best business deal got the ear of the pastor. That isn't going to happen here. I don't know. I won't know. I don't care to know who gives what in this church. Not by business, between you and God. The reason I don't want to know is I don't want to know everybody's business. It's God's business to know your business. My business is to preach the gospel. My business is to study, to show myself an approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when the pastor loses that, lost the only reason for a pastor to exist, because we are simply under shepherds unto the Lord Jesus. And so God begins to speak. Two characteristics we we see here. These things says the Son of God. This is, you, you can't get it. There's only one Son of God. Amen? Pretty clear who this was. Son of God speaking. It says, these things says the Son of God. Two characteristics of His holiness. Flame of fire, feet of burnished bronze, giving this incredible picture of the insight, the justice, the judgment. It's perfect. When we think of the Lord Jesus looking at us, We aren't fooling anybody. Can we just get over ourselves? We concoct some pretty amazing plans sometimes, don't we? We're not fooling the Lord. Well, you know, I'm just doing this because I love the Lord. No, you're doing it because you're scamming on the chicks. 
and Jesus sees it. Well, I'm just going to go there because I want to praise the Lord. No, you're doing it so you can pass out your business cards for your stupid pyramid plan. So you can sell somebody something. The Lord Jesus sees it. He's not put in some kind of disadvantage by your brilliant intellect. He knows why you do what you do. He sees it all. And he's going to judge us, and he will judge the church. Amen? It's his business to judge the church. And he judges it perfectly. Sometimes we, we, it's almost like we think the Lord is somehow dumb. Well, you know, he didn't see that. And you know how people sometimes get that way? It's because they get away for a time with sin. And because they got away with sin one time, they think the second time, well, look, you know, he didn't care the last time. Why does he care now? And then you end up with AIDS. Then you lose your home, your family. Oh, I guess he saw it. Yeah, he did. And he will give you grace. He will give you time to turn around. He will give you time to repent. But if you don't repent... For the sake of other people, he will bring the judgment justice necessary into your life to get you to hear his voice. God works like he's always worked. He worked in the life of Pharaoh, starts with flies, ends with death of the firstborn. You're doing this at first, you're doing this last. Well, I don't know, I don't think he's mad at me right now. God ain't playing. He is absolutely the righteous judge. And as the righteous judge noticed these things, he saw their deeds. <laughs> Family of God, you can make all the excuses you want, but you are what you do. That's why James reminds us, I will show you my faith by my works. And faith without works is dead. Amen? You are what you do. You can tell me, all, well, you know, I'm really spiritual. <laughs> then I see your car pull into this stupid club back here that I've been praying burns down. <laughs> you are what you do. Without any people in it, by the way. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> you are what you do. God knows your deeds. He also knows your love. That, by the way, is the first piece of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, self, all those things. You see, without love, just exactly as Paul said, writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, I could move mountains. I could speak in tongues all day long. Without love, I am as a sounding brass. I am a noisy cymbal, a clanging gong. I am irritating to the ears and painful to watch. He sees our service. Service is ministry. 
He sees the ministry that we engage in. That's not something you just simply get paid for. That's something you do because you are a doulos. You are a bond slave of Christ. And just exactly as Paul wrote to the Roman church, I am going to return my reasonable service to the Lord because of what he's done for me. It just makes sense. You've been saved from eternal damnation. You've been brought near by the blood of the Lamb. You've been given faith to believe. You've been given God's grace. The natural understanding that someone who receives that kind of gift ought to have is, I'm going to serve the one that gave it to me. It's not that hard. Their faith. Can I tell you that exactly as Romans says, exactly as the book of Hebrews, there in Hebrews says, Faith is substantive and faith is evidentiary. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and yet the evidence of those things not yet seen. Faith is real. Anybody that tells you they don't have faith is a liar. We have faith every day. If you drive on the freeway, you have faith. (laughs) Amen? You buy a house in California, you got faith. Somehow you're going to make $10 million over the next five years to pay for it. If you buy food in a grocery store, you have faith. You know how? You open that can up, you don't know who packed that. You've got no idea what's in there. By faith, you, you open up the can opener, you dump it out on the plate, you throw it in the microwave, boom, dinner done. You don't know if that person that packed that stuff put acid in there or whatever. You'd be tripping. <laughs> you don't know. You got some faith. But real faith, saving faith, is a gift from God. Amen? He gives it to you. He says, Look, here's enough faith for you to understand the gospel message. And that gospel message, understood by you and believed by you, is enough to bring you saving grace. God sees these things. Your perseverance. That's long-suffering. That's taking the long view of things. Man, if you look at the world today, it's easy to get short-timers, amen? It's like, Lord, we were praying for the rapture, back behind the curtain. Like, Lord, let's not start the service tonight, let's just go home. Persevering sometimes isn't fun. But think about it for a second, all the people that would perish if we left today. Think about it. So God's long-suffering. He sees that in us. We go through stuff, it'd be easier. Why do you think, Paul said, for me, it's better I go, but for you, it's better I stay. Look, I want to go home to be with Jesus. We all should want to go home to be with Jesus. But there are a whole bunch of people who need Jesus that don't know about Jesus, so let's tell them about Jesus so we can go home. Amen? Amen? And their last works. This church was doing more and more and more. They were doing all kinds of stuff. People should increase in good works. Your end should be better than your beginning. You run the race to win. Amen? Paul said, I don't fight as one who beats the air. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm getting in the ring, duking it out. And yes, I'm going to get beat up. I'm going to get a black eye. I'm going to do some persevering, but I'm going to win. You're going to get your hand raised in victory. Winner. 
That's who you are in Christ. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. No matter what the world says about you, no matter how short your obituary is going to be, I've always, have you, I, I'm weird, I know. I've thought about my obituary. What's it going to say? The dude. He's dead. You know, I don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is they knew that I loved Jesus, and that's pretty much it. That's your epitaph scored. Good deal. That word patience remains, actually means, if you look at the translation of the original Greek word, it means to remain under. To go through the pressure of being squished at times. The world does that. We need to have zeal, that's for sure. But we need to have zeal for the right things. There's a lot of churches that have zeal for the wrong things. We need to have social programs, that's a good thing. We need to care about all kinds of stuff. But we mostly need to care about whether people come to know Jesus or not. That's the main reason we're here. So all the rest of the stuff should point us back to does that person know Jesus? And it should give us an opportunity to present the gospel. To feed someone without giving them the gospel only makes them survive here. We want them to get there. Amen? There's some good in every single church. But I just it might shock you. There was some good in Adolf Hitler. Think about it for a second. He loved David Braun. He had, two, he had two German shepherds, Prince and Blondie, and he loved the dogs. So there was some good in him. But I think we'd all agree, he was the, probably the most evil person that's ever set foot on this planet. So just because some church does some kind of good doesn't mean that they're from the Lord. There's all kinds of good stuff. We get together... We had a fantastic bingo night. A bunch of people just enjoyed shouting out, B-22! I-17! They had fun! It doesn't save souls. Christ alone saves souls. This church got way off on another tangent. Notice how he moves from commendation to condemnation again. The trouble here in Thyatira was the tolerance of sin. And you can see this very clearly in the life of this woman Jezebel. And if you remember, actually from your Old Testament studies, this is King Ahab's queen. She was a worshiper of Baal. Uh, she had built uh, and worshipped an altar to Aphrodite, to Aristarch. Uh, this was a woman who was basically a pervert. And she convinced everybody else in the land of Israel to be the same. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, And now it happened when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And so he answered, What is peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? They had actually made peace at the cost of God's character and nature. 
That is not real peace. That is a temporary cessation of hostilities that brings about eternal damnation. That's not peace. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace. There's no other way to get it. You can have the cessation of hostilities. People can stop shooting at each other. But if you have to give away your soul so nobody shoots at you, you've made a bad deal. That was Jezebel. You see her counterpart, her symbolicism here is, is she was just this perverse person that was allowed to exist within Israel because of the supposed good. She brought together some people that wouldn't otherwise be around each other. Can I tell you that there's an ecumenical movement going on in this country that's not of the Lord? Because they're throwing out the Word of God, they're throwing out the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's all about unity for unity's sake, not unity in the Gospel. And that's not real unity. That's false unity. You, you can't be joined together with a harlot. You can't be joined together with, the, with Baal. You can only be joined together with what matters. And if we compromise to the point that we tolerate everything, you see, you can see it here. The mantra of our day. Well, tolerance, man. Just let people be. If they believe it, it's got to be true. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. That's what Scripture says. Just because people believe something doesn't make it true. They believe all kinds of nuts things. Mormons used to believe that people lived on the moon and inside of the sun. Pick up a 1980s version of the Book of Mormon. You'll see it. Huh? Yep. I'm pretty sure the Apollo astronauts didn't see them. Still people that believe that our own government blew up the Twin Towers. There's still people that believe our president is from Africa. He's born in Hawaii. Just because people believe something doesn't make it true. It's deceptive. And this type of lifestyle is deceptive. Because a lot of people like it. Well, you know, I'm just tired of my husband. I'm tired of my wife. I mean, we've been married for three weeks. <laughs> Didn't know that he would snore. And that Beamer, he promised, that Cadillac, I, was, I didn't know Escalade in the driveway. <laughs> didn't meet my needs. If you can find me any verse in the Bible, your homework, that says God is going to meet your needs because of what you want, I'd like to know where it is. It's not there. You see, whenever we combine Christianity with pagan thought, and whether that's philosophical, psychological, doesn't matter. Anything that's not measured by God's word, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. Devil's millennium unfolds before them. They're going to have a thousand years. And basically they had a thousand years of that type of 
frontier justice, if you will, for those who believed in the Lord. If you travel to Sudan today, you realize that almost 2 million Sudanese have died in the last 20 years. Most of them because of the fact that they claim to be Christians. China, the same way. How many millions have perished, been jailed? Same thing is true. Nigeria, Chad. We look at ISIS and what's going on in the Middle East today. Just because people are Christians, just because they believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're being persecuted. And there are actually people saying that those people are right in doing so. That we somehow incited this because of our thirst for oil. It's because the hearts of men are wicked and they love darkness and have fled from the light. That's why people do these things. It's very clear. It's not because of the great Satan. It's because of the only Satan. Same guy, Lucifer. The one who said, I will exalt my throne above the heights of heaven. You see the church still struggles with some of these things. And right now we have a church, and frankly it's shocking that they're whole understanding of God's word is, is it legal? We're telling people, yeah, go ahead and divorce. Sure, you know, it's legal in your state to have an abortion. Go for it. Well, it's not illegal to get drunk. I mean, just don't drive. That's coming from churches, folks. Not coming from the Bible. It's coming from church. Toleration used to mean patience and long-suffering with people. Now it's just whatever they believe is okay. And so what does the Lord say? He says, repent. That's what he says. He doesn't say, well, you know, I understand your childhood and I would be like that too. He doesn't say, I, I know you were disadvantaged and you know, you've had a hard life, so you go ahead and just sin as much as you want. You're the exception. No, he says, if you've got things going on in your life that don't belong in the life of a believer, you need to repent, turn around, and change your action. That's a grave indictment against a church. This is against a church. This isn't a bunch of unbelievers. This is people that have claimed to know the Lord that are engaged in activities that shouldn't even be named by an unbeliever, much less a believer. And he says to them, look, repent. Otherwise, it's not going to go good for you. And can I tell you that when people are engaged in sin, they are obstinate about that sin. They will fight you tooth and nail. They will use every explanation. They will use every justification. They will use every rationalization. They'll tell you, well, I am allowed to do this. And then they'll name their stuff. Because... My husband did this, my wife did that, my kids are of the devil, I got a bad job, I've had all this stuff going on, so that's why I'm blowing this stuff up my nose. That's why I'm engaged in this relationship with this person I'm not married to, because I've had a rough life. I'm guessing you have had a rough life. Probably most of us in here have had a rough life at some point in time, amen? It's no excuse. God doesn't listen to our excuses. He says, look, 
Here's what's right. Here's what's wrong. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. And if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, old things are passing away. Amen? You're not supposed to get more proficient at sinning as you grow in Christ. Think about it. You're supposed to be a really lousy sinner when you exit if you've been a Christian for a long time. You're supposed to be bad at it. Not more accomplished at trying to deceive people. Well, I don't really sin. I never sin. Anytime someone tells you that they don't sin, you need to run. You need to be booking for some other place to be standing before the lightning bolt gets you too. Repent, turn around, change your mind, change your attitude, change your action. That's what he says. You want to play with fire, the Lord will let you play with fire. Anybody been through that in here? I've played with fire, I've gotten burned. Literally. Don't light that on fire. My brother and I tried to make, during the Apollo days, when there were, you know, because that was big news. Everybody got up in the morning, you went to watch the Apollo rocket launch. We figured we would build a rocket motor in our backyard. I heard, don't do it. I knew better. But somehow I thought we were going to escape the exploding baby food jar. <laughs> Didn't work. Why did my brother have that gash in the middle of his forehead? My dad wanted to know. <laughs> well, because he's a poor engineer. <laughs> that was back when belts were very wide, very thick. Repent. Wasn't looking for an excuse. God's not looking for an excuse. And consequently, we often suffer the consequences of sin. Amen? Look at what it says in verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her to give her great tribulation, unless she repents of her deeds. Could it be, could it be, that the proliferation of sexually transmitted diseases, HIV, and AIDS is because of immorality? I would say to you it is. It's not going to be helped by vaccinating your 11-year-old daughter against human pamplonavirus. That's not going to help. What's going to help is raising her in Christ Jesus to know that she should not do that with her body because that body doesn't belong to her. It's the Lord's, and he has a husband for her, and he's picked that husband out from the beginning of time. You see, what we're doing is not calling sin, sin, and what we have is the consequences of not calling sin, sin. We have to call sin, sin. It's time for us to just simply say, look, that's wrong. It's not some kind of fun that we pastors are trying to keep you kids from having. No, it's very dangerous and it'll destroy your life. How many people today wander around with the pain, the consequences of sin, not believing Scripture for what it says? You know, it used to be that people would cite the fact, well, I just believe because my pastor told me that it was wrong, that I shouldn't do it. You know what? I'd like to be blamed for that. I'd like to have some mom, I can't, t can't believe you told my daughter she shouldn't sleep with her boyfriend. Amen, I didn't. I told her don't sleep with anybody except her husband. What about telling our sons, 
look, sons, that's somebody else's mother, daughter, sister, or wife. You don't touch her. She's not yours. Well, you know, we just need to teach them how to have safe sex. There's no such thing as safe sex. Unless it's between two people who are married to each other and love each other and intend to stay that way for life. Then it's a whole lot better than just safe. Amen? You just stop pulling punches. Tell it like it is. It's not good for you. It's not an experience you need. Consequently, we let our emotions and our feelings start to deceive. Look, I will kill her children with death. How many stories do we need to hear in the news media of babies born addicted to drugs? Babies born with HIV. Babies born with birth defects because we don't believe that what God's Word says is true. It's true. It's not up to us to negotiate with the God. It's up to us to just believe what He said. He said He'd do it, and it's happened. It's here. We're seeing it. And until we repent, change your action, until we encourage people, look, this is what God's Word says. You may not like it, You may have the California Teachers Association tell you differently, but the fact of the matter is, it's not the school's business to teach your kids about sex education. It is your responsibility as parents to do that. You are to raise your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord, knowing that when they get old, they'll not depart from those ways. That's what you've been called to do. Not leave it to somebody else who couldn't care less what mess they make or whether it ever gets cleaned up or not. Having said that, there are a lot of wonderful Christian teachers that teach in this state. All kinds of them that love Jesus. And they are just as mad about that as I am. It's not a condemnation of public education. That's simply to say we have a systemic problem. And that is the church has been voiceless for 50 years we just let things go it's time to stand up and say you're not getting my kids and so Jesus gets through all the emotion you know it's hard when you look at well you know we really love each other you're two guys I believe, like David and Jonathan, you have some affinity, some affection for each other. I get that. I have some close male friends. But my Bible says a man shall not lie with another man as a woman. What don't we get about that? No matter how much you believe you have a committed relationship, you are going against God's law, and God's law always prevails. Always prevails. He's not going to be proved to be wrong. We're not going to wake up a hundred years from now. Wow, I sure didn't see that coming. Wow, all the people, God was wrong. No, God's right. And he's right 100% of the time. And if he says something, he says it because it's truth. 
And yet, well, you know, it's a really committed relationship. Yes, and it's really doomed to failure. And no matter how much you say what you say, ultimately, God's going to be right. Not Jeff's going to be right. God's going to be right. So please don't do that because God's going to be right. And so he says to the faithful remnant, look, I know not all of you have this doctrine, and it's surely true. The problematic churches in our world, not all of them have the same doctrine. There are even churches within the same denomination where the denomination holds one view and the individual church holds another. That's absolutely true. I have precious friends in all kinds of denominational churches that when you talk to them, they are grieved over what's going on in their denomination. I have Presbyterian friends, Episcopalian friends, Lutheran friends. We're all going, I cannot believe that we have actually voted to sin. We have voted to ignore the plain teaching of God's word. And they hate it. There's a faithful remnant. And there's a lot of them in some cases. So much so it's actually splitting some denominations. As well it should. Because that's for me and my house. We serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's where we hang our hat. That's where we finish our conversation. Thus says the Lord. And we do that with as much love as we can. But this is the church. This is God's house. I am free to speak to you as children of God. You can handle the meat. You don't need to have milk. You can be told the truth. I do you a disservice by dumbing down God's word. I will not do that. And so he says, to he who overcomes keeps my words to the end. To him I'll give the power of the nations. If we want to see the church restored to its rightful place, and that's not to take over government, that's never worked, but to so influence our culture that the culture's changed. And when the culture changes, guess what? We elect godly officials. Your Bible says that, by the way. When godly men rule, the people rejoice. But evil is a reproach to every generation and so he says to those who overcome and keep my works to the end keep on working keep on doing what God tells us to do saying what God calls us to say that's how you gain power over the nations that's how you get that place back that we're supposed to have you look at the beginnings of our country do you know that 52 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of of Independence all claimed some relationship with God? 52 of 56. More than 20 of them were pastors. Oh, how far the mighty have fallen. We need to get back to what matters. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. You see, in the last days, that millennial age, the capital of the world, get this, the capital of the world, you know, it's not going to be Washington, D.C. I hate to, you know, tell everybody. It's going to be Jerusalem. No matter what the world thinks, 
king of kings, the Lord of lords, going to put his feet back down on the Mount of Olives. is going to split in two, and he is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. I'm all for giving him that place right now. Let him do what he alone can do. I don't want to see him dashed to peace, the potter's vessels. I don't, I don't want the church to have to be ripped apart, torn asunder. But I'll tell you what, it'd be better for churches that aren't preaching the name of Christ to go find something else to do than continue to lie to people. You know, become a social club or something. But don't name the name of Jesus and then take his word and throw it out the window. Because that's not helping anybody. That's not helping the lost. That's not helping the disadvantaged. That's not helping the poor. That is helping the enemy gain ground. That's what that's doing. And to them, just before dawn, if you go out and look, especially here in our hemisphere, and you look out the mornings along the ecliptic, which at this time of the year is out over the peninsula in the morning out to the east you'll see the morning stars actually the planet Venus but it was a sign that there was always hope for the new day and the ancients would get up and when they saw the morning star they knew the sun was about to come up the S-O-N was about to come up I'll give the morning star I'll, I'll give the hope but the sun's coming to those who overcome. And we need that hope in our world, folks. We need the Lord Jesus like we've never needed him before. And so he ends to he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so all that I just said, it's not just for you. It's for the church, of which there's only one. We're seeing in the book of Ephesians, amen? There's one church made up of every believer that's ever been on this earth. And to that church, the Lord says, look, there's hope when you keep looking to the sun. And I pray that we do that, that we live for him, that we speak the truth, we speak that truth, of course, in love. But here in God's house, we also can speak the truth with authority. Sometimes we teach and sometimes we preach. And sometimes I teach and sometimes I preach in the same message. But truth is truth. And God's people need to hear the truth. Obey the truth. Live out the truth. Because the truth will set you free. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the power of your word. Lord, as you authored scripture, as you bring to light these truths, Lord, they're the same exact problems that ail our world today. Lord, as we look ahead to what lies ahead for our nation, God, we can see that unless we repent, it's grim. But Lord, the good news is there's time to repent. As long as we have breath in our lungs and a new day dawns, we can simply turn. And we know that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. And we thank you for that promise. Lord, you'll give us the faith to believe, the faith to change, 
You've sent the Holy Spirit as our help and our comforter. And you, Jesus, are ever before the right hand of God, interceding for us on our behalf. And so, Lord, as we close our time tonight, we just simply say, God, if there's something uh, in us that needs to change, God, we as your people here, and we want to change, Lord, we want your very best. And we know that your blessings come through obedience. And so God causes us to hear what the Spirit says, Lord, to us, this church. Help us to live our lives with full abandon for you. We praise you, we honor you, we bless you, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand?